Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Evelyn Lozada Eckerd is the founder of Bravo Leadership International. She named the company after listening to a friend continually yelling out Bravo, Bravo at a tennis tournament. Evelyn states, My intention is to up-level people's mindsets through training and coaching and help them become a better version of themselves. I want to cheer them on. Bravo, Bravo. This week, we're going to have Evelyn Lozada Eckerd from Bravo Leadership International. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Oh, I'm so excited and for the audience. I just want you to know, yes, she is my sister. That's why the Lozada <laughs> is there. So if you hear us bantering, is that? <laughs> bantering, yeah. If you hear us bantering, you'll know why, because we're sisters. Right. <laughs> It's not stereo. It's it's two voices. <laughs> yeah, so we keep we keep getting confused. It's like, oh my god, a friend of mine says, because we were sitting on the opposite <laughs> sides of him, and they go, oh my god, we're in stereo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'll have to hear this back to see how similar we actually are. Right? I know, right? I, you sound I, very different than me. <laughs> I know. I think we do, but I guess to somebody else, we sound pretty much right. the same. Very true. Very true. I know that you do something with called DISC. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what DISC is and the personality sure. types associated with DISC? Sure. DISC has been around since the 1930s, and it's when all the psychology started popping up, like Carl Jung and Marsden was the one who created this and really simplified the personalities into four major buckets. So what it is, is that we lean towards a certain personality based on, you know, are we fast paced or slow paced? Are we outgoing or are we reserved? And based on that, we could have a dominant personality, which is someone who's very direct. And they're mostly like, you know, you think of bosses, right? <laughs> Your boss, he's direct, he's going to give you instructions, he is outgoing, and he's task oriented. So he wants stuff done at a very high level. And then you have influential personalities, which are fast paced and people oriented. And so these, you have <laughs> that would be my sister, Sonia. <laughs> Sonia is a what we call high eye, influential person. She gets her energy from people. So that's think about the podcast, right? How you love interviewing people and, and that connection. And so you get your energy from people. And then there's other traits like your, your fast pace. A lot of people in, who are influential tend to be more the social butterflies, right? They're in the sales positions. They're, they want, or even entertainment, right? They want to be the focus. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so what are you trying to say? They, they like the spotlight. <laughs> they want all, you know, the tension. <laughs> And then we have, um, so it's normally D, I, and then S, C, and it goes clockwise. If you, if you think about when you see the disc in any, on print, it's D, I, S, C. 
So I'm going in that order. That's what I tend to do anyway. So the S is their steady personalities. And this is the majority. The majority of the people are steady personalities. And what they do is they tend to be very loyal. They are great team members. Um, you definitely want them part of your team. They do wonderful follow-up. They're people-oriented, get their energy from people, but only from a small group. They're reserved. They don't want to be on stage. They love to sit down one-on-one with you. So those are the steady personalities. And then the last personality is compliant, which these are task-oriented, analytical people. So think of your IT people. They do well working alone. They process and think in their heads, whole thing. They're very accurate. So you want these people, right? They're about 17% of the population, but they help like really analyze all the numbers. So they're numbers people. You want your accountant to be, you know, a high C, a compliant personality who really is a thinker. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the DISC come from. And that's what we call DISC. And so we may have one of those personalities. We could have two, we could have three that are really the top. If people describe us, they would say, oh yeah, she's dominant, but she's also influential and she knows how to crunch numbers. So you can be like a DIC up to three. They're mostly opposite. So you can't be all, but we do step into them when needed. And that's a whole another topic, but we do. When we need to be dominant and we're not, then we just kind of pull that lever and then we become dominant in that moment. And I always say, think of, think of the very shy, you know, coworker you have. And I bet you, if she has kids, she's dominant at home, (laughs) (laughs) flips that personality. So that's where we're kind of, we could do all four. It's just what stands out mostly based on what your personality is. Yeah, I think I have a little bit of S in mine Mm -hmm. from your description because the one-on-one, I really like doing one-on-one. Right. Is there a a difference in those beliefs between a man and a woman? With regards to DISC? Yeah. Not necessarily because people will communicate a certain way. You know, what I love about DISC is that it's something tangible that someone can start their journey on like they a self-discovery journey right Mm -hmm. they'll they'll get a to learn a little bit of their personality and then how to lean into that personality how to really accent the strengths and how to look at what areas of of improvement and i find with men and women when it comes to being dominant and the Mm -hmm. roles men and women have the women if they're dominant get labeled (laughs) Yes, I feel that when you step back and start looking. So if if a man's dominant, obviously the male role and in a business setting, that's the typical. Mm -hmm. And and now that there's more and more women who are dominant getting a seat at the table. Yeah, they could be labeled words that are not very nice words. Oh, yeah, like a woman is being difficult and a man is being assertive. Right, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, All the words I have to describe that are probably not. (laughs) 
<laughs> best little, too. I, I need to PG that. <laughs> so, that's so, what I was um, trying to do with those two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. You know, so when you look at the personalities, like I find, I find that I coach men who are more analytical and they do have people skills, but they're running companies. So they need to lean into their D and their I. And they, when they took the assessment, they're a C and S. So they're compliant and studies and can do one-on-ones, but they're leaders in their position. So they have to find a way to lean into their DNI. So that's the work we do with, I have a, a client now, that's the work him and I have been doing for him to get to that point. And then for women, I mostly deal with dominant women, which is pretty funny. They, how do you best communicate without people feeling that you're going to steamroll through them because they're expecting something. They tend to expect some people expect something from us in that female role. And then how can we really show a little more of our S side to us when we're dealing with the majority of people who are S's? Do you feel that Women have to become more nurturing in the position so not to come across as demanding. Is that how you feel what you have to do with the D women? I, I don't, I'm trying to understand I gotcha. by explaining it to the audience. Right. The women who are this dominant personality tend to do what dominant men do. You strip away the sex and it's just the same personality, right? So they're driven, they're direct they're goal-oriented, they're task-oriented. So sometimes they forget to kind of look up and see that, hey, there's people in front of me. (laughs) There's actually people that I have to deal with people. So it's recognizing their people side. And so I'll give you an example. And this is a male example, but really it fits both because of the personality. His team will call him, let's Mm -hmm. say. Call him and say, hey, and then how are you? How was your weekend? How's the family? And my D client will go, why are you calling me? Get to the point. Like, I don't even want, you know, you're wasting minutes. Mm-hmm. And so the work there is to say, well, what personality is that person calling you? Oh, they're an S. Oh, they're an S. So what do you think they need? They need to connect with you first. Really, the work that he did, I'll call him the high D, was to take two minutes, those two minutes of the conversation, and connect with them on that social level where that person needs engaged. Say, my weekend was great. Family's doing well. How's your family? Those pleasant interactions will then really relax the S because the S is kind of afraid of that D personality sometimes Mm -hmm. because they feel that they just run them over. They don't listen to them. Right. And they do. And they do. So that's the work. And then they just, they need to recognize and be self-aware and then add those two minutes because you have to be that precise, just two minutes of an exchange where you just connect, then get to the point. And that's the work the high D has, but also the S has some work too, because if he knows his boss is direct and everything, mm-hmm. then you get on the phone and, and you be direct and you tell them what they want to hear the way they want to hear it. And so a lot of my work then becomes communication and how to communicate effectively 
And I do it through this because again, this is tangible. There's a worksheet, there's tips on exactly what to do and they work. It's so crazy how they work. Did I even answer your question? I don't even know. No, that's okay. I am totally into this conversation. So I'll, I'll steer you back if I think I'm lost. How do people get in their own way? I know it relates to what you were just talking about. Sometimes I feel it's because you're unaware and that may be unintentional, right? Like currently I have someone who didn't do well on an interview. And I remember that happened to me too. Why? Why didn't I go into this interview and be my best self? and really shine and be relaxed and talk about the things that I know about. That's all you do. But there's this saboteur in us that creeps out and there's some, and we're unaware of that. And that's what happens is either we start overthinking or we start getting nervous and we start creating a story in our heads that really then start tripping us up. And then we're not then we're thinking, well, what do, what do they want to hear and giving them what they want to hear. And, and they see us being a little bit uncomfortable. It could be at a very subconscious level. Like they don't, mm-hmm. you know how sometimes you say, Oh, I don't know what was up with that person, but there was something they, they gave off a certain vibe. That's sometimes our saboteur that comes up that will do that. In this interview, I, I think I judged the people who were interviewing me and then I didn't care. And I, I don't know what I was, how I was answering the questions. Uh, I knew I wasn't answering them the way I prepared for them. Mm-hmm. And so I knew something was happening <laughs> that saboteur came up. And I think that's how, you know, that's all us. That's how we get in our own way, right? Because we either overthink it or we're not aware of things we really want or the purpose, or we're not walking towards our goals. We think this is the way to go, but then that saboteur come up and we just don't understand it. I think it's unawareness that you have to be in that walk and that personal grow walk to really see when those things pop up because they not only pop up there, they pop up everywhere, right? Where else does that happen that you're unaware of? Well, those are triggers. I was actually listening to a course and they said that most of our triggers are from childhood. And when we were kids, as a grown up, we don't think that affected us. But someone says one thing, and it does our little triggers from our childhood. I didn't know that our triggers went back to childhood. I thought it was something we experienced recently, and it just came back up or something we didn't deal with. But it looks like most of the triggers are from childhood. So when you go into an interview, someone says one thing, and it throws you off. But one of the things I learned through acting going back to what you were saying about the interview is you go in with expectations of what they're going to ask you. And that might not be what they're going to ask you at all. Yes. And as an actor, I used to learn the character and, and learn the lines and just go in and do that. But what I realized is that I should just learn the lines because it never fails. They're always going to say, can you do it this way? Mm -hmm. And if you learned the lines with the character, you're going to be lost. Oh, right, right. I could see that kind of throwing you off. Right? Yeah. So the mm-hmm. same thing I would think at an interview for a regular job, mm-hmm. you go in with your story of how you're going to answer it. But now the, they change the story on you. Yeah. One of my mentors says, don't get attached to the plan. <laughs> <laughs> 
True. So the plan will blow up. Just look at the goal, right? The goal is to get the jobs. <laughs> and it's just being fluid and not being so stern, focused on just that, right? Kind of being open and flexible and being fluid and just focus on the goal. I, I could absolutely see how people get thrown off. I, I was just talking to a friend of mine who said, I had all these plans. <laughs> and then, you know, something physically happened. And now it's, there's a kink in all the plans that can really get someone depressed too. And I always say, well, it's so funny. I, I just think life is all about problem solving. So it's just more stuff. I say some, something else. Can you curse on this show? I don't know. Is yes. This- I don't care if it's bad. I'll beep you. <laughs> to one of our relatives and I like, there's always shit in front of the road. So you got to decide what am I going to do with the shit? Am I going to move the shit? Am I going to stomp through the shit? But there's always going to be shit. <laughs> there's always going to be, you know what? It's like, I feel that our, our life lessons, if they you know exist or our soul lessons or our higher self, whatever you want to call yes, it, yes, yes. wants us to learn certain yes. things. And mm. if we're not meant to go that way or we're not meant to go now, it will mm. delay us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean no, but it's weird because when you said you're getting depressed about a future thing, Usually depression is the past. The other one, anxiety is the future. So that's a mixture. You're getting depression about something that is in the future that isn't even existed yet. Well, that is exactly how crazy and amazing the mind is. I'm a big geek of psychology, so I'll just keep reading stuff. And you know, when you said triggers from childhood, there's actually research on that. Dr. Lipton, Bruce Lipton, Mm-hmm. In his book said that most of our habits and that come from, I think the, up to the age of seven, seven or nine, I'm not hundred percent sure. So there's research on all of this done and it's just amazing work. So I, I dive in because it's just interesting. And eventually as this becomes mainstream, as a lot of people are stepping into it, that's where this mindfulness comes from and how important it is. So that people are not feeling anxious or worried or all of those are such wasted emotions. If you think about it, it's just a waste of time. And we make it up most of the time anyway. Yes. And we cause ourselves physical harm as a result of it. We either like eat or not eat or, you know, just lay around and not be productive and go to sleep. Courageous. <laughs> yeah, right. Or, you know, it disrupts our sleep. It is interesting living a life from, especially for me, and I know for some of my clients is living a life harmoniously, right? Where you're okay. It's not balanced because now you can't really balance that. The stuff (laughs) will get in the way and that'll kill your balance. So as long as it's harmonious, right? That we can and be fluid. It really, that's the key. And I know we know this stuff, but there's, there's a knowing There's a gap between knowing and doing. There's a big gap. There's a big gap. I've noticed many people keep taking self-help and self-help and self-help and they love hearing it and it makes them feel good, but they never apply it. Because it's hard work. They're in the moment while they're listening to it, but they're not applying it. And if they're not applying it and they go to a coach as yourself, how do you deal with permission? How do you know when to give advice or coaching advice to someone? How do you ask their permission? That's a good question because I feel a lot of people don't know the difference between coaching and mentoring. And so 
A true coach would never give you advice, (laughs) will never tell you things. A true coach would say that you have the answer with them. If there's a block, then we need to explore why that block is there. And a true coach will help you take those courageous steps into like that next courageous step into what your goals are. So then as you're taking those steps, you'll get confidence and then it continues. The next little step. There's some work, really wonderful work from Dr. Paul Sheely. And he talks about that, just that next courageous, small, little step. So that's the coach. And then the mentors, the mentors is saying, if I'm your mentor, I have experience. I've done that walk. And so I am going to guide you through it. I'm going to tell you like little things of what to do and what not to do. And I'm going to give you some feedback. The mentor is also coaching throughout, but they're also, you know, guiding you and telling you. As a coach, if I find that someone's struggling, and this has happened recently, I put on my coaching hat. Okay, so I'm a coach. I also mentor this person. But at this moment in time, I said, I'm just going to coach you there's something she's struggling with that it's right in front of her, but she doesn't see it. So either she needs to be trained on that or, or something, but she can't come up with the answer herself because she maybe doesn't have that information. I will say, okay, well, I have a recommendation there if you're open to hear it. And so I always do that. (laughs) One of my clients, he cracks me up because Yes, tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just want someone to tell you because you keep, you're spinning wheels and you don't, you're spinning this wheel and you should be on this wheel. Right. And you keep circling the same thing over and over again. And that's the thing. You have to be careful there because then it becomes just, you know, mentoring relationship. And we're so used to our schooling, everything. We're so used to people just feeding us. And I think that's where the self-help comes in. We're being fed, 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 but we're not necessarily trained to think. And for you to really like stop and go within. And my favorite thing when I'm coaching is silence. When people just like, boom, they just, they go within and I lose them (laughs) for a minute or two. And, and a true coach will just let that time, like hold the time, right? Hold the space for them because they're thinking that is the beautiful thing. So in a coaching relationship, you really are teaching someone how to think and not telling them the answers. Because if you keep telling them the answers, you're creating that gap too, that knowing doing gap. And if I'm, mm-hmm. I thought of it, there could be other things like discovering those, those triggers that you're mentioning and those blocks, and then you bring that up into your awareness. So it's really powerful, the coaching, the true coaching. I know the word coaching, they use it for everything. And it's not the sports coaching, that's more like mentoring. But the true coaching is really letting that individual, one, do most of the talking to really think about where they want to go. And then only when a coach feels they're stuck and they have the answer that they can progress that, do we ask permission to even give you that information? And when you say yes, you're really saying, yes, I'm open to it. I'm open versus people telling all the time. And then you may not be open to it. 
it really is a, yes. a beautiful relationship like that because the coach, he has all the power in that relationship. That's And so you're basically challenging their thinking away, not the way <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm a little confused because so if you are mentoring, you mentor a little bit because you see they're stuck and they're open to it and they gave you permission. Is it challenging their thinking when you do that or? Okay. I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Well, right now I am working with one client specifically and with her, we are actually doing a, what I call like a leadership path. I'm pretty much holding her hand throughout. She's a first-time manager. She's running an entire department as being a first-time manager. And so I've been through all that experience. So I'm more or less her mentor. One of the things that a coach or a mentor should always challenge someone's thinking because, you know, we have a leadership lid, right? Our thinking and our style and our knowledge is as high as our bosses. So if they have a low like leadership lid, like they run their business this way, then we can build up to where their level is. But rarely do people exceed that. Why is that? I don't understand the lid and who sets the lid. So is it a cultural in the business? Is a cultural belief in the business or? Yeah, if let's say corporations, if corporations don't do continual training and developing of their folks, then they're only as good as you trained them and developed them. Most people are not going to keep on a self-development path. Some people don't even want to invest in themselves. They're like, well, I'm not going to that training because the company is not paying for it. It's that mindset, yes. right? So they only have the information they have. They don't know what they don't know. They could yes. be here, but have other people, right? They keep doing a good job themselves and they get promoted. And they may not know how to lead people. Back to the personalities. You get someone who's analytical, who is in an IT. I actually know someone. He was great at his job, then got promoted. And he's like, oh my God, this is an HR position. Because he had 10 people reporting to him. And they come with pe people-y problems. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not people-y. He's a high C. <laughs> That's what I mean. They, so in summary about that lid, there's they're only as good as the investment in themselves. With this person now, you know, we're walking the path of this leadership is really looking at things like what's subjective, what's objective. How do you give feedback that's effective? How do you have those tough conversations? How do you become a better listener? How do you stop telling someone what to do. I love it when they go, I told them 20 times and they still don't do it. I'm like, mm. then the telling isn't working and the coaching hat needs to come on as to what is the reasons why there's that gap. Again, transferring some of the skills I have and for her to be more of a coach as well, that'll benefit. That's raising her lid. It's raising her lid. She, she isn't getting that information from the company, but the company hired me, smart company. Now she's literally getting fast track mentoring, coaching through this whole process. You know, there was, uh, it reminded me on what you're saying. I worked at a company and when you said, I've told them 20 times, they were telling their employees who were management. Okay. And they were saying, I told them 20 times. I go, well, how do you expect 
them to know if you don't train them. You can't reprimand someone when you've never trained them. You can't expect someone to do something that they don't know. Right. And I ended up designing a class for them because it's like, okay, now we can hold them responsible. We train them. But you can't hold someone responsible if you you don't train them. Absolutely. And that's where a lot of the expectations fall short because they expect that, but they haven't given the person the tools or the resources to do a good job. And they're not coaching them or mentoring them along the way. It's just, this is the expectation. This is what you do. That, from my experience, there's quite a few organizations, big corporations that are just there. And it's up to the individual supervisor or manager to really start pouring in and developing their people because the moment they do that, so they'll train, then they'll have expectations, then they'll hold them accountable. And people need to be held accountable because if you're not holding me accountable, I may not do it. <laughs> you get that personality. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa. Well, you got, whoa, whoa. There's quite a few. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, it's funny because I've seen people and then they're like, well, I, they let me go and I don't understand. Well, if you're not doing your job, that means the people around you are working twice as hard now. Right. But the simple fact that she said, I don't know why, that is all on the management team. Because there had to be conversations well before that to correct that behavior. And you know, like we would have a conversation and I'm like, you know, the next time this happens, you know, you could be terminated. So let's make sure we get this right. And for her not to know that is very sad. To me, that's very sad. So how much, because if she was told many times. (laughs) 20 times. (laughs) and they were surprised they were like go it's like how you don't show up for work okay well that's that's on you I can't can't train you for that that's on you go ahead (laughs) and I was really surprised that they were surprised that they were like oh was it okay so there's things in my mindset there's things that there's a you and you deal you got to show up on time the expectation of dressing appropriately for work you know not missing work yeah you got to show up (laughs) So those are you and you. That's you and your character. That to me is separate. I have no qualms about having really difficult conversations with things like that because it's black and white. Mm-hmm. It's universal. I mean, you're going to get fired anywhere you go if you don't show up. The other part is job performance. They're not doing something that you trained them to do, that you expected them to do, and they still fall short. They may be struggling in that position too. And those are things you assess. Are they, I have a mentor who says, first, you got to get everyone on the bus. You know, you hire people, they're on the bus. Then you got to find to make sure they're on the right seat on the bus. Meaning when you look at the, this personality, you wouldn't have an influential person like yourself doing the numbers. And that's where... I know you do the numbers because you're trained to do the numbers. However, you could only do that for this much because it's not. Oh, my God. That's so true. That's so true. I I do accounting for those of you that don't know. I do bookkeeping, but I cannot do it more than 20 hours a week. And that's because it's not your your strength zone. No, I'm glad I know it because I think everyone should know how to do their books and accounting. And Mm -hmm. I'm blessed that way. But to think numbers full time. Yeah, no, no, it's too much. You don't love it. 
It's it's not my nature. Yeah, you, uh, your high I and the C is like opposites. Think of that. Normally, a high C, a high I is disorganized. They tend to kind of flow like they're not locked in. They're not compliant. To just to use that word, and so the opposite to that would be highly organized, highly planned, task oriented versus people oriented. So they're really opposites. But that's a good example to show everyone in your audience that you can lean into things that you're not good at. You could learn to do it. You could do it for a short time. I wouldn't live there. You're not going to get your accountant degree and start doing account and opening up an office and doing that. That's not going to happen. But it's good for you. Like I went through the same process. I had to learn sales management. I had to create my own spreadsheets. I had to look at the data because the data is telling me something. So I got good at doing that. Oh, I didn't want to live there. <laughs> you know, I just got it done first thing in the morning. Boom. Get it done. Get everything you need. Your mind is fresh. You can concentrate. And then the rest of the day do you know lean into your strengths and your personalities that's really it's a good example of showing the different personalities and things that we can actually improve on yes I, and i think we do need a little bit of everything of all of them at some point in, or another mm -hmm. because there are sometimes you just have to put your foot down and be dominant absolutely you do that's where i always see it as levers or levers, I don't know the right word for it. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like if one of the facilitators with DISC, she's continues to be one of my mentors, she's very dominant, full speed ahead. <laughs> Plus is going fast. You're we're hanging on. <laughs> and she said that her sister-in-law was very ill. Talk about someone who just went from dominant to steady, to that steady personality, to the caring, to the one-on-one -on -one changing herself over because she was with her for those last couple of weeks. So um, think of, you know, even that way we change, we always change. So we have yes. them all in us. It's just recognizing which ones are our strengths and then which ones are, are not our strengths. And then understanding the job we do understanding if we're in the right seat on that bus. And that's really the work with them. You need to walk. <laughs> that's the journey. And it's amazing. I, I've seen so many people take courses because they want the self-help and everything else, and everything else to change the next person. Instead of applying it to themselves, it's like, okay, well, now I know this, I understand them. So now they have to change because I understand them. I think we all fall into that at one point I, in time, point right? Another, I mean, yes. we all want to, and that's another part of that next journey. Like when you, if you were to take an assessment, the next journey would be, it's called the Jahari window. And it just talks about how we have blind spots. We all have blind spots. You can see my blind spot. I can't see it, right? No, exactly. Most people are not going to tell you your blind spot. You may be fortunate enough to have people, but it's really us understanding we have blind spots and asking, hey, what do you see that I can work on? Or when I do something or say something, you give me feedback because I don't know I said that or did that. So I'll give you an example. One of the folks I've worked with, when he is concentrating, he looks down and blocks everyone out because he's working, right? But he's working he's so serious. Like if people kind of float in, they just don't want to be bothered. So they put out this 
don't mess with me vibe out there. Almost dismissive. Very. But they don't mean to do that. They're just working. Head down. They're working. They didn't know they did that. They didn't know how other people felt when they were doing that. You know, don't have your door open and have an open door policy and then look down and set out that energy. Close your door for an hour and then do that. But don't have that Mm -hmm. because then people are even afraid to approach you. That's the feedback that I gave that person. They were unaware. So that's a blind spot. We all have them. It's just a matter of. Well, I've had I've had bosses like that where you walk into work and they say, well, what kind of mood are they in? Are they in a good mood today or in the bad mood? It makes it hard for the employees because you feel like you always have to tiptoe around your boss. I mean, in jobs like that, where I felt I had to tiptoe, I was looking for work while I was there. Sure. And what he doesn't know, he set that off. But if the majority of the population are studies, then they're, they don't like conflict. They're tiptoeing. They don't want, they're not going to address anything. And they're passive aggressive. So they're going to go back and tell all their people, they're going to have conversations about this. And that's a waste of productivity. And the boss had no idea he set that into motion. But would it really be passive aggressive if you can't talk to your boss? Sometimes you can't, there's bosses that just don't want to listen. But how would that be passive aggressive in the job? So let's say the boss is acting like a boss, very direct ID. Because the person's in the room, not tiptoeing around them and not having a conversation, but let's say that person's in the room, they're they're being direct. The person may say, yes, because they don't want conflict. So they may agree, but then they walk away and they don't agree. And that comes out later with maybe their peers. And that's what I mean by passive aggressive. Now that is de- definitely passive aggressive. I thought you were referring to if someone can't talk to their no, boss no, no, because no, their sorry. boss is difficult. Right. No, in that respect, if you can't talk to your boss and you can't give them feedback of how they're making you feel, then think about that lid and how low that lid leadership lid is, right? Because there's no connection. Where you work, there should be a sense of community and connection. And if you don't have that, mm-hmm. like yourself, you're looking for another job. Because what are you going to do? You can't change people. That's the work they need to do. Though. They need to hire a coach. They need to hire a mentor. They need to reach out to someone in the organization that can help them. That's the work they need to do. And I don't know if they're aware of it. That's the first step. Are they even aware that they're treating, let's say it was you, are they even aware they're treating you and how you're feeling about that. With an eye, you're verbal. So you may tell them. <laughs> but most people... Well, you know me. Yeah, <laughs> you, you will tell them. <laughs> but most people won't because they're reserved. Not going to say anything. Yeah, I, I try to tell them in a way to make them laugh. Because I find that it is difficult to talk to somebody. Because you know that it's probably not meant intentionally. Mm-hmm. So how do you address it? I try to make things humorous. It's the only way sometimes to do it. Like you said about permission. How do you tell your boss if they haven't given you permission? So back to that, think of it for a minute. That's a good loop back to what we were saying. And it would be going into his office, scheduling some time, because if they're direct personality or dominant, they're tight on time, right? We know that. We don't want to just kind of knock willy-nilly in the middle of a project. We want to schedule some time. And then in that conversation, really say, you know, I got, I have some feedback on what happened last week. Are you open to hear it? That's as simple as that. Are you open to hear it? And, and if he says, yes, and of course, no? like, 
you know, most of them are going to be open to hear it or if they're a good leader. If a yes. Leader. If they're not, they're going to say, no, I don't have time. And, and that's okay. So when is, when is a good time for us to sit down? That, that's what I would say. Okay. Not today. That's yeah. cool because you probably have a project and you're thinking about it. And this is like a, you're throwing a monkey wrench into their plans. And that's why, again, planning it and say, okay, if it's not a good time, when is a good time? And lock them down. And, and you're kind of having to manage that process. Mm-hmm. And so once again, you sit down and you say, hey, I have some feedback. And then how to deliver the feedback. That's a whole nother process. But see, because it's a process and people can learn the process, they would get really good at giving feedback, especially tough feedback, emotional feedback. It's a process. You do step A, step B, step C, D. And once you do that and deliver the message, then you put your coaching hat on. I feel like people, once they know how to, then they're empowered and they can have more and more of those open conversations and it can change the entire culture in an organization if people would give more feedback. Yeah. And I always feel that if I know my boss cares, Mm -hmm. you could tolerate the little idiosyncrasies. You can make fun of them because you know, they, (laughs) what you can make fun of those little idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And it's okay. You know, you, you tolerate it and you you can understand it, but when you can't even speak up, I've had jobs like that where you cannot speak up. It's what the boss says. And that is it. I I don't last long there. And I would tell people go, don't stay there. No, you shouldn't be abused. That's really why I even started Bravo, because I have been in an organization for 26 years that did train and develop us. And I wanted to see, are these skills transferable or are they just with this company? And when I found out they were transferable and then some, I thought this organization was awesome, but then they stopped training and developing people. And then it became a struggle. And that's where I was like, no, we have to get back to what, what we did before that formula worked. Then that's what in my head, I thought how many other organizations and I hear my friends and family members go through all this and I know it was needed. So that's why it it really was to help bosses suck less, but that's not really a good tagline for Bravo. So I have to. <laughs> hey, I don't want you to suck. So buy my consulting yeah. services. So it's like, hey, I just, I just hired a coach who's going to help me suck less. Like bosses don't even know <laughs> they suck. <laughs> so it's not a good tagline. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. It is a funny one though. <laughs> ultimately, that's why I'm doing it. So if I can have that person more aware and more in touch and connect with the people and be more productive and increase retention. That's beautiful because increase their retention, increase the retention, (laughs) increase the retention. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) So people don't leave, right? Like if there's a lot of like people are going out the door, chances are they're leaving their boss, not the company. Right. Because you see companies that have huge turnovers. It could be the nature of so the what business would you, or not, but go ahead. I find that people that are been working in one job for a very, very mm-hmm. long time kind of loses the skills in interviewing 
and going to another job. For sure. So what would you tell someone who really wants to make a change to better themselves? Right. Because let's face it, one job for so many years, the world around them is changing. Mm -hmm while they're in that one job mm -hmm. and everything is different. I, I'm going to use myself, for instance, I'm a people person. So I was used to going into an office and interviewing with people. Now you can't even get to an office because you have to do everything via email. I mean, now in the pandemic, we're not going anywhere anyway, but it's all email and you can't even get to that one-on-one. -on -one. So I find me as an I in the disc is very difficult to look for employment because of that, because you're such a people person. What would you suggest in a situation like that? Do you suggest that they should get a service to do their resumes or uh, writing a letter? Because sometimes it's very mm -hmm. hard to introduce yourself to get into something like that. I mean, there's probably a million questions in one right there, but. <laughs> I find that to be the case where people are in organization for a long time, like I was. There is definitely a fear factor there preventing you from jumping and leaving that organization for something better. I know that if you do jump, like people who change jobs, you increase your salary. Every time that jump happens, you increase your salary. So there's definitely advantages to moving around. It could be, you know, millennials and the younger generation have no qualms about jumping from job to job because they're looking for that sense of community and purpose. They just do it. And when they're in the job, they don't want to wait two years to get promoted. They want to get promoted in six months. Well, then also, you know, that doesn't look good on your resume if you're constantly moving every six months. It doesn't look good for what generation though? Yeah, it depends. But still, if you're going to train an employee and they're only going to mm -hmm. stay six months, you haven't recouped your investment true, in true. that employee. I did read something that millennials normally stick to a job at the most around two years. To me, that's okay. Right. Because you kind of made back your training right. on I gotcha. in two years. Makes sense. Six months. If I see you someone with every six months, I'm not hiring you. I, I, I'm not. It, it just all depends though. I really, I see that as I would, I would want to find out why, because a lot of people may be on the bus, but they're on the wrong bus and they recognize it early on that they need to go to the next level or they're working for people and they're not leaders. I would really want to deep dive and find out why. And you're right. You can see if there's a trend, right? And they're like, wait, then, then it has to be you. It can't be the job because <laughs> you're doing it. Yeah. If, if I see three or four jobs at six months, mm -hmm. what it tells me is like, A, you're searching too much. Two, you're going to cost me a lot of money for me to give you a job. Right. Three, you should be a consultant. Yeah, for jumping. Then you can move around every six months. Nobody would think twice about it. you could move, be a consultant, be there for a week. No one would care. That's a good point. It's really, and it goes back to understanding yourself, understanding mm -hmm. what is your best work environment and where are you going to use your strengths. And too many people get, if they're working for an organization for a long time, they lose that, that gusto, right, of wanting to do a good job and being passionate about what they do. They may lose that. To get it back, I feel there's got to be some investment in yourself. If the company, there could be a company, what's the online training? You know, have you carved out some time for personal growth? If you want to jump, what can you do right now? I know for me, I hired a resume writer. Cause like you, I write like a high D 
you know, bullet points and then there, there's not enough meat and potatoes. <laughs> it's just like high level, here you go. And they want more. Mm -hmm. So I know I had to hire someone. I hired someone to do my resume, update LinkedIn, do all of that. Then I went to an interview and I bombed that interview. Talked about that before, right? I knew I needed a coach. I needed to train with someone for someone to hear my voice. Was I really confident? Did I sound confident? How about my body language? What were the words I was actually saying? I worked with him and that very next interview I had, I got it. I landed the interview. It is an investment in yourself because anytime you're afraid of something, it's probably because you don't have enough practice. And once you get the practice, it doesn't feel so strange. There's no, there's not that much fear. And I always use like public speaking. Most people are afraid of public speaking, but if you're training yourself and you get a coach and you're developing this over time and taking those courageous steps into learning how to be a speaker, eventually you're going to be a speaker. So the same take steps and invest in you invest in building your resume, invest in those soft skills that are needed, the listening skills, you know, the, the connection with people. That's why people get promoted. Hard skills you can train on, the soft skills are actually hard. So I would say invest in you, invest, invest. Take some money, take courses, take training, lean into things that you enjoy doing. And from there, that first step, It'll open up other avenues for you. And then you may feel that you're, you know, you need to jump on another bus and that's okay. Or you put, you put that up because I, I feel that people sometimes that saboteur comes out, they either get fired or laid off because of what they have been doing. Yes. So that's good and bad. Uh, let's just leave it there. I have um, a question because I would like to address the issue with the pandemic where so many people lost their jobs. Mm. The idea, even as you were speaking, I'm because there's an analytical part to me. Sure. And as you're speaking, what would I feel like if I was in that position, but I had no money mm -hmm. to pay a consultant or to pay for a resume writer? As you were speaking, the numbers are, are calculating in my head. Mm -hmm. Well, a coach is going to cost me around 300 bucks and a resume writer is about a hundred and something. And, and I'm just throwing numbers yeah. out there because I don't know exactly sure. what it is. What kind of advice mm -hmm. can you give to someone that might be hurting mm -hmm. that way, but really needs a job? No, for, for sure that what's been happening in this last year, and it's serious. Mm -hmm. One of the things it's at our fingertips. I mean, we have mm -hmm. Google and we have content everywhere. We literally have content everywhere. So it's a matter of like even searching and reading articles through those articles. Uh, if you're on LinkedIn and you're looking for a job, they have a lot of articles geared to additional learning. They have courses paid. If you, I think it's about $60 to join LinkedIn per month, but that will, they have free articles that'll give you steps. And then those lead to a book you pick up. There was, and, and then connecting with people online to see if they would even help you. They could lean in and say, hey, you know, my situation is this, can you guide me? Or can you give me like 15 minutes of your time? 
If someone were to reach out to me that way, I would absolutely do that. We all want to give. So it's just a matter of do some homework, do some research. What is What do you think that next step will be? Take those courageous steps to learn, read, maybe even buy a book. That's, you know, $15. Go to the library, check it out if that's something. In your industry, build your network. If you do it on LinkedIn, build your network. And then you can actually connect with any of those folks in that network to help you and see, yes. you know, see like, hey, can you give me 15 minutes? You know, you've leaned into to folks to see if they can carve out a little bit of time to help you do X, Y, Z. And people, you'd be surprised how much people say, absolutely, I can help you. If you reach out to me, let's talk for 15 minutes and see how I could help you. I would be happy to. I, yesterday, I'm applying for a grant, Mm -hmm. artist grant, because, you know, I'm a poet. They had 15 minutes. So you have to prepare all your questions, everything. Boom, boom, boom. I was totally prepared because I knew I only had 15 minutes. So really preparing yourself on what's going on and having references. I I listen to YouTube all the time. Some of it is good. Some of it is not good. Mm -hmm. But if it's not good, you go to the next person if it doesn't resonate with you. But that was one of the things I wanted to address because I know so many people are extremely stressed and panicked. There was a big thing on the news that landlords, I think they had to March 15th and then you had to catch up with your rent, something like that. I think it got extended, but a bunch of people got evicted. I don't know if they got evicted before their time or whatever, and people were up in arms. So that kind of panic, people are more afraid of not having a roof over their head. That Mm -hmm. seems to be the biggest one. And you know, the study personalities, the one thing that they fear is loss of security. Imagine those, you have, you know, looking for things that will help you in whatever situation you're in. There's Mm -hmm. help out there. You, You really have to seek it out and then ask questions and get other, maybe other people know of something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not an expert there, but I'm sure you could kind of uncover and then get someone else to maybe refer you to something else. And it's all based on networking. It really is. I guess that's my point. It's like network and not be afraid to ask. You got to ask. I find LinkedIn is very good for business. Mm-hmm. And I find that going to YouTube or searching the internet is find online courses. I find that if I listen to one video or even a book and I get one really great mm. piece of advice out of it that I can easily apply, to me, it's worth it then. Absolutely. It was worth my time because I got one thing out of it that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. I am going to go back to my little list of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this is going to be the longest podcast ever. No, just kidding. <laughs> We're going to be right there with Joe Rogan. (laughs) Well, Joe Rogan like has uh, what, three hours sometimes. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Why do people get angry when asked questions? Even though it's a simple question, they're asked with no malice, but then they feel like they're being, you're questioning their intelligence versus asking because you really don't know. I've come across that where I ask somebody and they look at me and they get all angry. I go, no, no, I really want to know. I don't, I I'm asking you because I don't know, mm-hmm. not, not because I'm questioning your intelligence. Right. Probably the way you said it, if you give them the why before the question, it may not trigger them 
So basically saying, I don't understand. Can you explain it? Yeah, I'm super curious. You just said that. And I'm just like really not under kind of blaming you, right? I just, I can't process that or I just don't understand it. Can you say it a different way? What did you really mean by it? Because I I just, sorry, I just didn't get it. And that is if you add the why to your question, it won't trigger them. And, And another question too, like you're adding the why or the reason, the mm-hmm. reason why I'm asking is like too often in the past, I've gotten emails like do this, 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 so I can, I'll do this, 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 but I don't really know why. And if you were to add, Hey, I have a deadline. I got to get this to so-and-so by this time and day, can you do this, this, and this? And you just get a different response. Oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Now I understand why the importance and I can do it. So I'm open to it. The other part is when asking questions that start with why can be, mm-hmm. people can get very defensive. Like using the word you. Like how you did this and you, you, you. So asking with a why is the same? Why can be the same. So okay. if I ask you, why'd you do that? Well, there's <laughs> tone there too. And there's tone. Absolutely. Yes. Why'd you do that? I just lowered my tone, but there's still something that changed that to, hey, what were your thoughts when you did that? What were you thinking about? Still get the same answer, right? Like the why behind what they did, but you didn't start out with why. So those are sometimes in coaching, we really work on staying away from that. If it's going to sound a certain way, you can ask the what questions versus the why. It's funny how so much of what you're talking about also relates to me as an actor. I was working on a set and the director said, I want you to go from there. Then you walk over here. Then you walk over there. And then you stand over here. Why am I even doing that? Right. (laughs) (laughs) What's my motivation? (laughs) I'll walk aimlessly to each spot. Mm -hmm. But as an actor, I have to, why, why am I doing that? Right, and she right. goes, oh, because you have to look like you're just checking out the house. I go, okay, that's all I needed. Exactly. That literally, remember that the word was, what's my motivation? Like you need the high level why so that you can then understand. Right. Cause I could have done that aimlessly. Hmm. Just like an employee would have done their job aimlessly because they were told this is what you do, but they don't know why. So they're not learning mm-hmm. as they're doing. They're just going through the motions. And I really find that if you don't explain it well, where they understand, if you're just told what to do, stand A, B, C, and D, you don't find joy in learning either. It, t- it takes away the learning part of it. Mm-hmm. It takes away the reason why you would do that. And you're telling, I told you 20 times, <laughs> but if they zoom out, right? If they zoomed out and give them the high level, and the whys behind it, and let them do it however they want to, mm-hmm. like that director could say, this is why, and you stop a couple times and let you do your thing, that connects. Yes, because I understand where she told me to stand, because that was for camera and lighting and all of that. Sure. That I get. I was already in the house. Supposedly, I'm the person that works there every single week. Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. You have to tell me, and it's because, well, you sense something different. Now you're like checking out the house. I go, okay, well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now now I know why I'm doing this because why else would I do it in a place that I come to work every week? And you asked more information 
other people might've just did what she wanted, but you asked so for your knowledge and that takes courage to ask and like really understand, help me understand what you want here so I can give you what you want, right? That's yeah. basically, I think you asking is courageous and clarifying we just need to do more of that. Yes, because I see how much it relates to even in the workplace. It really does, because really if does. you don't know why you're doing something, I like that you mentioned the people on the bus. Can you tell me how you would sit the people on the bus? I'll give you an example. She applied for a job and she felt that she was great administrative assistant. She went into the job and she was doing good. You know, she was doing well. She was doing her job administratively. But what the feedback that kept coming back to her boss was, wow, she really connects well. She really has great customer service. Actually did a disc profile on her. She's a high eye. She did administrative job and she did it well, kind of like your bookkeeping, right? Mm-hmm. You do it, you do it well. But you kind of always have to be thinking it's work Mm -hmm. and it's work for a lot, you know, your whole day. He realized she's on the right bus. She's got the great personality. She understands, but she's in the wrong seat. He moved her over to sales because that was the people connection she needed. And she thrived within one year. She had close to a million dollars in sales. That's what I mean by having the right people on the bus. She was right for the bus. She was in the wrong seat. She was doing the administrative stuff well, but there was, it wasn't her, her strength zone. When you're in your strength zone, it's easier. You don't have to think about it. So imagine her connecting with people, finding out what their needs are, and then, you know, offering them a product or service that's good for them. And she's perfect at that. She doesn't really even have to think through because it's a conversation. I love this. It's a conversation. That's why I feel it's really critical for the boss to look at their people. They could do assessments like DISC or use anything to assess. There's other things you can use, like Myers-Briggs. It's a little more detail. I use DISC because it's easy. And then really look to see, are they in the right position for their strength zone? And if I were to move them into a different seat, would they thrive? Would they love their job because they don't have to think all the time, right? Mm-hmm. They just like they may just end up loving their job. And then you retain that person longer and then they become promoters. They love it. They're like, hey, come work with me. This company's fantastic. And I, I feel that's why it's really important to do assessments and, and put people because they may not recognize. She thought she was a great administrative assistant. She did. In her head, she was. She was doing a good job, but it wasn't her strength zone. She wasn't thriving at the job she was good at. Yes. And I find that if you are in the position that is very much works with your personality, things just seem to fall into place Mm -hmm. because that's what happened with me with this podcast. But you're right. When you're doing something you like and it really fits your personality, things just seem to work out. One of the girls I, I'm working with, she, I think, did 20 years of ministry. And she's like, oh, now I know why I had to do 20 years of ministry. Because a lot of the principles relate to what she's doing now. It's just learning those lessons from doing that. And it just all came together for her. 
really even perceptions of people, we work with people, unless you're, you know, one-on-one with your computer and you don't see people and you're reserved and, and it's too people-y out there for you. We're working alone. We normally have to work with people. So our perceptions of people, right? Well, how we perceive them, our expectations of them, it's all one. It just happens to be in a work setting. If you bring in that knowledge and put people first in a work setting, you're going to thrive. I feel there needs to be a shift and perhaps the newer generations are really demanding that shift in the workplace. And I'm grateful to them for that because many times I really felt that you were at the mercy of the company. You would stay because you have a family and you have kids and it was a horrible place to work, but you have a family, you got to support them. And I like the idea that it should be equal. I am giving you work for pay. So that is pretty equal. I should be treated equally. And I'm not talking about perks or extra benefits, but treating just someone equally at work, just with respect and understanding that people are different and how to handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. What is performance improvement plan? Can you explain what that is? If you go on a PIP, it's performance-based. It's a performance improvement plan, meaning that we have to have some structure around your performance because what you're doing now isn't working. And It can be a a big negative because that that means I'm not producing. So if you're going to put me on a PIP, then I'm not doing something that I'm supposed to do. If you do the PIP right as as a manager, because I've put people on PIPs before. And this is when we talk about, oh, I told you 20 times. Mm -hmm. This is where you told them once and nothing changed. You told them twice, nothing changed. Those are like verbal conversations. You might have written them up. Now there's documentation. Might have written them up. Change this. This is important. You need to change it. Nothing changes. I may, if you're an employee who's been around for a while, there's value. There's something going on. I may put you on a PIP. And the PIP is this. There's going to be once a week, you and I are going to sit down and have a conversation, a one-on-one. We're going to go through all the things that you need to work on. And I'm literally going to hold your hand every week for whatever given time, a month, two months, and help you improve. And that's the plan. So there's different steps I may have given you to do and that you need to execute on them before our meeting. So I'm kind of the accountability partner as well. At the end, you have to have an outcome. If the outcome is favorable and that's all you needed to get back on track, then you pass the PIP and you got like specialized training, specialized coaching for whatever given amount of time. And then you go back into the workforce and you're fine. Most people get so discouraged during a PIP and maybe angry and mad at their employer, mad at their boss and stuff. That saboteur may pop up and they may just sabotage themselves during that process. And so they will be terminated at the end of the PIP. It can really go either way. Uh, I had an employee put out a PIP and he liked it. (laughs) I'm like, who likes a PIP? 
<laughs> you know, I have to tell you, as you're telling me that you meet once a week and you talk to them and give them something, that to me is almost like one-on-one training. Mm-hmm. And as you're explaining it, I go, that's not a bad thing. That's kind no, of a good thing. It's not. But at the same time, it seems like the connotation behind a PIP is probation. Could be. It could be like everything you've done before that isn't working. And it's a very serious step. There's got to be an outcome coming in here because if there's not, then you will get fired mm-hmm. as a result of not passing this. But what was the nice part about it is that engagement through the employee I had, he loved it because mm-hmm. he needed that attention and he wanted that attention. He would talk to me every day if he could because he was so he needed that. In the position we were in, I can't give you that time. You know, we do once a month meetings, but I can't give you a weekly time slot like that to get to our goals. So Mm -hmm. really, if I could, that would be part of it and it would be good. Now, the outcome to that is because of those weekly meetings, he did pass the outcome, right? So he got to the goal we needed and he stayed employed, which I think my boss didn't want, but he did it. We did it. It worked out. We saw the numbers. And it was good for the time being, knowing he needs that. One of the things that I did was because we had a team of seven, then once a week, someone talked to him. They started getting, okay, your turn to talk to blah, blah, blah this week. And you're (laughs) going to talk to blah, blah, blah this week. And as a result, you know, that's what he needed. And then you get beauty in that is for a team member to come up to you and say, hey, I need you know, she would say her name. So let's say I'll use my name, Evelyn, I need Evelyn time. So we knew that maybe we didn't have that meeting structured and we needed the meeting structure because it was a, just a good time to connect. And people need that. So realize like, how can you give that to people? And if you're connecting with them so often, I don't think a PIP is ever needed. Because you're doing kind of like the PIP in your weekly meetings. Yeah, it's an improvement process. That's all it is. Okay, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. Sure. I've seen companies that have meetings all the time. Yeah. When do people get to work? It, I've worked at companies where people complain, we're always in a meeting. There's a, one meeting after another and after another, not scheduling any time to actually work. It's, it's a good question because between that conference calls and Zoom calls, there's exhaustion from all of it. You know, unless you're doing working meetings, like you literally are doing what you say you want to do during that time, it's not just planning and then I have to go execute. You're actually planning and executing during the meeting. Mm -hmm. Those work really well. What I'm seeing, even with the company I'm working with, most of the leadership is in meetings and Zoom calls and conference calls, and then they work all night to get things done. So that's not right got to have a life. I always feel that my employees should have a life. I've talked to when I when I was director of administration, we tell people get out of here, it's time for you to go. Home. You know, the work is not going anywhere. You need to go home because and they enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed the fact that I considered their time as valuable. But because I also consider your time as valuable, I expect you to work when you're at work. Absolutely. And not going off having conversations with everybody, having coffee and and not sitting down and doing the work. Now, I actually love working remotely because I get all my work done. 
But if I want to get up and go to the store and buy coffee or go grocery shopping in between, I could do that because I know I'm going to get my work done. Yeah, you're disciplined. Not not everybody can do that, though. You're pretty disciplined and you have experience. Yeah. Definitely people probably now are getting a little bit better at that. What I feel is parents of young children who they're attempting to work and their kids need help with math next to them and they're all Zooming. So there's like <laughs> seven Zoom conferences open. You better have good Wi-Fi, but that's really challenging for the parents. And what I would say to people who are in organizations where there's tons of meetings and tons of conference calls and tons of Zoom calls, really see, do you have to be in that call? Or is it because you don't want to lose control or you have, you know, I want to know exactly what's going on. Do you have to be in that call? Can you get one of your subordinates to be on that call? Can you have a direct supervisor or direct, you know, your coworker take notes and give you a five minute summary? Do you have to schedule calls for an hour, defaults to an hour? Can you do 30 minutes? Look at how you did 15 minutes. You knew you had to be precise. You knew you had to get your questions out. And the moment you start narrowing down that window, you just get more effective. And so that's what I would say is people setting up the meetings, make them shorter, get to the job at hand and people being invited, don't accept everything. When you don't accept, you do tentative. I click on tentative because I haven't checked my schedule and I haven't checked what the flow of my day is. So I click tentative because it shows up on my calendar, but I'm not committed. The moment I do my research and say, do I have to be on that meeting? Do I have to, you know, right now I'm a consultant. What I think of, am I adding value if I'm in that meeting? And because if there's a cost, they're paying me to be in that meeting. You know, I can take their money all day long and sit on calls, but that's not going to be value add. So I really have to think, Do I need to be in that meeting? One, two, it's a recurrent meeting they put. I tell them when I accept it, I'll be on the meeting. And if I know for sure I'm not, I'll decline it. So really Mm -hmm. that communication via your calendar, being stingy with your minutes is going to have you work more effectively and productively. Yeah, you need that harmony. You need to get out of the work mindset and do things with your family and friends and exercise and you need that for your well-being, for sure. You do. And also, I find that if you, because you're really relaxing the mind, the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software. And if the software is glitched, it's going, the work is going to be glitched. So now we're getting actually to the end mm. of our podcast. If you had to address anything specifically to the audience that would be advantageous for them mm-hmm. and help them in their work environment. What is the biggest thing that you have noticed that you can tell someone in the audience how they can help themselves or at least research it? Absolutely. I would start with really understanding you. And there's a lot of tools. Like I said, I use DISC. You can use anything that's out there. There's Myers-Briggs There's something. Get an idea of how you work because you're not alone. I mean, there's a lot of people like you. What are some things you can literally lean into and develop more? For instance, so I'm an ID and I'm a trained C like like you are, right? Like trained the data, 
And we can be studies too. I mean, people meet me because I'm a good listener. People think off the bat, I'm a study personality because they know I'm connecting with people, but I don't do all the talking and that's trained because <laughs> mm-hmm. we like to talk. I love to talk. <laughs> Give us any type of platform. There we are. Really understanding your personality and do some reading. And if you're not a reader, listen, I wasn't one either. Like I barely finished a book in a given year, but there's really no excuses now with Audible. And then you could listen at least once a month to some concepts that are out there. Something like start pouring information because something's going to click for you. Something's going to spark that passion. And once that does, then you can go down that lane. Like I knew I was a good coach. I wanted to be a speaker. I was a little afraid of speaking though, because I feel like I wasn't concise enough. So I did a lot of work there and I still, I train, so I have to speak, but those are the things that I understand with my personality that yes, you do get distracted talking because that's your personality. Yes, you may talk too much and then people zone out because that's your personality. So it's really grabbing a hold of that and understanding it. So learn more about you and how you tick. And then some people go to therapy and therapy is fantastic because you'll understand a little bit more of the your behaviors or your thoughts and therapy is put in the past, right? So if there's unresolved issues, that's where therapy, I feel, really helps people. It's kind of a little bit of difference between those two, right? Moving forward. Those are some things that I would say to any individual. Start with you. Start with understanding yourself. That simple DISC assessment will really then guide you into understanding more of your personality, how you communicate with others. It gives you recommendations so you can start communicating with others differently. And then people Mm -hmm. see you different as a result of that. And that's where it'll lead to something else. And what that else is, is it's up to you. It's just whatever you lean into, whatever book you want to read. There is a book called The 15 Laws of Growth. We did a mastermind in, and that's a John Maxwell book. And that teaches you really basic of what you can do to be a good human. And, you know, if you start there, then you'll absolutely be a good boss and a good leader, right? Because you're using the same skills. It's all people skills. And people who are shy or reserved, you still need those people skills. Still need to get a job, interview, connect with bosses, communicate with your team members. Yeah, I would say really lean into that and start that path. Now, how can people reach you? What is your website? Just what's your website that it could, they could reach you at? Sure. So my website, my the, the company name is Bravo Leadership International, I-N-T-L for short, right? Bravo Leadership International. So you can go onto my website and that's bli.life. So it's Bravo Leadership International.life, bli.life. And there you could actually download- Live a, or life? Life, L-I-F-E. L-I-F-E, okay. Mm -hmm. So you could download, I have the three steps to effective communication and you can start by downloading that and see what what that's all about and that the intro. 
go through the uh, website. I have two lanes right now. One's a coaching lane and one is a training lane, leadership training called Leaders Academy. There's a wait list for that right now that will launch at the end of the week. Uh, and then you can reach out to the website and there's a contact me page there too. And I'll be, like I said before, if you needed to see how to get started, reach out to me. I, I will be happy to do a quick 15 minute one-on-one -on -one with you. Perfect. So they should read the three steps first because it's 15 minutes and you want to give them the most they can get out of 15 minutes. Should they have questions ready for that? You know, I always ask what brings you to the page? Like what, what is going on with you that you're seeking? There's something happening. Maybe you don't understand that, or maybe something's going on with work and there's something that's just not settling. So what is the driver there? And understanding that it would be like a discovery call where I would ask you questions and then you can, maybe it's a goal you want to reach. I'll help you as much as I can set you on that path. Perfect. Thank you so much for offering that 15 minutes to the listeners. Sure. I think that it's really advantageous for them to take advantage of that. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you being on the show. Audience, check out my sister. I'm being subjective here. Because I ask her questions all the time, too. Well, thank you, Sonia. Thank you for having me on. I mean, this is, well, I love that you gave me this opportunity. I wish you lots of success with your podcast because I, I can't wait. and I'm excited to share it. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection podcast. Available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.